Pretty Policeman, Multiple Paradox Net Files. These are some of The Little Darlings. It's great to be gay. Our favourite episode titles. Right on, sister. Please be gentle. From all three seasons of the logbooks. You might well be very angry. So we've printed them on a t-shirt and a poster. Crash pad needed. Kiss my rump. And our limited stock is for sale at thelogbooks.org. Interested and willing? With profits going to Switchboard. Thank you for being here. So take a look at thelogbooks.org slash shop. This episode contains archaic language around transgender identities. This is a logbook entry from November the 4th, 1998. I've just had such a lovely call, I felt I had to share my joy. A young straight woman called. She's a fan of Haley on Coronation Street, brackets the transsexual but didn't know much about TS issues. So she rang us to gather ammunition to challenge the bigoted views of her friends and colleagues. She was an absolute delight to talk to and how refreshing to find someone otherwise unconnected to these issues, willing to expand her knowledge and combat ignorance. I feel fab. This is a logbook entry from January the 18th, 2000. Channel 4 are repeating Queer as Folk Series 1 starting today and our number will be broadcast afterwards. There's no night shift cover tonight, but calls will probably start coming in as a result of it over the next week. I love that first logbook entry. We know how it is as LGBTQI plus people to see ourselves represented on screen. But also there's that wider piece around allyship, about that support. Yeah, and it's kind of great to think about uh, allies, people, non-LGBTQ plus people being exposed to themes, queer themes and queer sex and stuff on TV. And uh, But it's even more important that we get to see it too. And I remember watching Queer as Folk, I think I was 15 when it came out in 1999. I remember taping it off the TV so I could watch it privately in my bedroom in the dark with the sound off and just watch the sexy bits. Of course she did that though. <laughs> You're listening to The Logbooks, stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today, in partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. In this season, we're reading through the notes made by the volunteers who took calls between 1992 and 2003. I'm Tash Walker. And I'm Adam Smith. Episode four, how refreshing... And we're going to be talking all about television and the milestones from 1992 to 2003. We've got Brookside, Biker Grove, Queer as Folk, Haley from Corrie. It's so important to have this representation on screen, especially in fiction. And the 90s were just super great about that. So in this episode, we've got memories from people remembering when they saw that hot cardigan kiss in Brookside. Yes, please. And the switchboard volunteer who spoke to people who needed to talk after Ellen's landmark coming out episode. With Laura Dern. <laughs> I remember the Brookside kiss. I remember Anna Frail. And I remember thinking, oh, she's really like sexy she's my kind of woman you know I think she can't be a lesbian because we don't exist I mean there, there aren't many of us out there and I remember going to clubs and, and the Cuban solidarity campaign events and so on I remember just you could actually spot the other femme in the room so there weren't that many of us I'm Rita I'm a pioneer in terms of on tv representation I I would 
I would literally come home early and put on my TV. It was one of those old wooden boxes where there was no remote control. But anyway, I had a small TV and I would put it on if I heard that there was any representation of anything remotely LGBT because it just made me feel like the world was bigger than what I could physically see and where I physically was um, out there in the world, in the bigger world there were other gay people and it was lovely for me to be able to see that and so yes if there was any opportunity I just remember Brookside partly because it, it was a, a woman and femme and, and the whole identity being able to identify with, with her and thinking hey it's okay to be a lesbian and wear lipstick and have long hair and to wear a dress and to look like this. You know how I feel about you. It doesn't just end with me finding you attractive, liking your personality. I fancy you in the same way I fancy Peter Harrison. I want to kiss you the way I kissed him. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It's okay. No, it's not. I've said too much and I've spoiled everything. How could you possibly stay friends with me now? So I was only nine when that Brookside kiss happened. So I've only watched it for the first time a couple of weeks ago in preparation for the show. And it makes me feel like a teen. <laughs> Have you been watching it on repeat? Over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a big deal in 1994 when it first happened, especially for people who were watching it very privately, because they weren't out. But I just knew that there was going to be discussions in the morning at work. And at work I ran a, a department, but it was very uh, predominantly male. And of course, I wasn't out. I couldn't really come out. So when anything like this happened... Um, you know, I thought, oh God, what are they going to, how are they going to treat this tomorrow when I go into work? What they, what are they going to say about it? For weeks afterwards, people were still talking about it. I'm Lynn, and I'm seventy-two years of age. I don't know anyone in my working environment that um, ever came out, or I'd even got an inkling that they were gay. Uh, all the people that worked for me were very much married, family-orientated. Um, so that, that was difficult because I couldn't be honest. And with one or two people, I would have loved to have been really honest. But I did not know what that knock-on effect was going to be and I didn't want to take that risk at the time. There was an episode of Brookside. I don't remember the exact date that it was aired. And there was a kiss between two uh, what were meant to be younger women. And it was brilliant. It, re it received so many complaints, but also so much publicity. So that really helped in a way. And I thought, this is awesome. And also, Anna Friel's quite good looking. She was then before she had the Botox in her top lip, but that's another story. My name's Sally. I'm 54. I am a parent and an entrepreneur. The other thing was um, where 
uh, gay people were having... Uh, it, there was, like, um, it was a drama or a story. And so you had two people who had got together, say they're fairly young. It was always portrayed that one of them would go off with somebody of the opposite gender in the end. There was no exploration of... Um, a relationship that would survive the test of time. There was very, very little portrayal of historical LGBTQ plus characters. Um, and we have such a rich and fascinating history, but it's as if we don't exist. Yeah, I used to watch Bad Girls and Cell Block H, but it was almost like Sometimes, I know with cell blockage, it was a bit like a panto because the sex would move. And the character representations, like, um, I can't remember the name of the officer, but her, her side name was Vinegar Tits. She was just such a, an awful character who would basically go in with her gloves and molest the inmates. So it was hardly a positive portrayal of a lesbian woman. If you were gay, you were deviant in some other way as well, as society viewed us at that time. Listening to Sally makes me think about being queer, gay or trans as a character, always seen as a character trait to a villain or, in the case of bad girls, a criminal, rather than just part of who those people are. And the storylines so often ended up, or even still do sometimes, with the negativity of being LGBTQI plus. Yeah. But I mean, Bad Girls was so good, wasn't it? Yeah, so bad. It was good. So good. It was just really brilliant. I remember watching it with my dad and my sister. And my sister, who's a lesbian, I just thought she was obsessed with prisons. And <laughs> I mean, I think she is, but uh, there was also something else going on for her. And, you know, these amazing characters, Shell Dockley, Helen Stewart, Nikki, I remember their names, and the guards, Screws. I just remember watching this and thinking, there's something so risky about this show. And it was so different just because there were so many women in it. Mm. And as well as the all the lesbian snogging and stuff like that that was going on in the cells. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this 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 show is risky and it's exciting to me. And it was just so different. And I just love that. Yeah, totally. I, I feel exactly the same about Queer as Folk. That was oh. about uh, a show about gay men, right? But it was illicit and I was obsessed with it and I couldn't get enough of it. And I think it goes to show you how important representation is for LGBTQI plus people, even if it's not exactly you who you see on screen. Mm -hmm. And what a difference seeing that on TV makes, as Femi remembers here about Beth in Brookside. It was thrilling, of course, to begin to see actually lesbians that you could lust after um, and who weren't sorry about being lesbians and who didn't die or go straight um, on telly. Um, and actually, when Beth Jordash <laughs> sucked her dad and buried him under the patio and then had that amazing lesbian kiss, I mean, those times were just... They were just so important. I do you know I almost began, began to think the job was done then uh, because we thought, well, that, that's it, mainstream telly. Characters being written specifically for, um, you know, specifically to be lesbian, not necessarily to be anything else. That that, that was incredible. And yeah, um, video recorders were notoriously unreliable. You couldn't be sure that you'd set the wretched thing right. So you had to be, you know, in front of the telly at the right time in order to watch Bad Girls. Um, I think that... Uh, now we see so yes, comparatively 
so much stronger, so much more vibrant. If we think about the comparison between bad girls and Orange is the New Black. Um, yeah, Telly had a big part to play in making our life easier, in reassuring young women that it was, you could be fine being a lesbian. Femi's comment on the job being done or her thinking that the job was done makes me think a lot about equal rights, about our fight for equal rights. And whenever we're looking to achieve something, marriage equality, for example, as soon as you get there, you realise how far there still is to go. And it's that balance between equality versus equity. And it makes you realise that the impact of these TV shows is so fantastic when you see that representation. But as soon as you get it, it, it opens up this whole Pandora's box of how much more work we have to do around it. And another thing it sort of make, made me realise when we're talking about the impact of these shows was I'm reminded of this thing when, that happened when I was about 10 or 11. I was watching a TV documentary with my mum about homosexual kids and they were experiencing what I remember as just loads of homophobic abuse. Obviously a negative portrayal that we were so used to seeing in the 90s. And I just had a complete meltdown and I cried and I sobbed and I remember begging my mum to promise to never let me be gay, ever. Oh, wow. That was just based on something that you saw on the TV. Yeah, it, I just remember feeling so overwhelmed and terrified. It makes you realise how much of an impact just seeing something on the TV can make you think about yourself and yeah, reflect on that or just have a reaction like you did as a, as a little one. Yeah, of course. And you see that starting to have an impact on the calls to Switchboard, especially when Switchboard's number started to appear at the end of the TV shows. I've got a logbook entry here, Tash, from May the 10th, 1994. And it's basically a page that the Switchboard volunteer has ripped out of the Guardian newspaper and stuck into the logbook with sellotape. And it's an article about coming out to your parents. It's called Out With It. And it's got a picture of Beth from Brookside. And it uses the obviously the recent storyline of Beth in Brookside to explore that issue of coming out to your parents. And there's a person who's quoted in the article called Sue, who's 20 and works for a clearing bank in London's West End. <laughs> and here's a quote from the article. It was only after watching a television program about lesbian lifestyles that I finally faced up to the fact that I was looking at myself. Not only did I prefer the company of women socially, I also found them attractive sexually. Once I had acknowledged that, I plucked up the courage to phone Gay Switchboard and they gave me the details of a women's social group in my area. Obviously, the switchboard volunteers underlined <laughs> the mention of gay switchboard in the article. It's great to see that article and how switchboard helped someone. And still to this day, when a TV show comes out talking about LGBTQI plus issues, so often switchboard's number is at the bottom and we let the volunteers know in advance. This is a logbook entry from July the 12th, 1992. Caller from Southport called us after seeing our number on a switchboard banner on Out on Channel 4. This is the second call I've taken via that programme. Perhaps we could get Out to flash our telephone number up at the end of each programme, or Channel 4 to make a voiceover at the end of the programmes. This is a logbook entry from January 31st, 1999. Both Jack and I have simultaneously had coming out calls from married 39-year-olds as a result of our number being publicised at the end of peak practice last week. I 
I seem to remember one of the papers used to have uh, TV columns and they used to highlight if there was a gay programme coming up because gay programmes were so rare back then, you'd stay in to watch them. And very often, you know, this is like in times I didn't necessarily have a VCR back then. Um, so you would actually stay in to wa watch it because if, if you missed it, you missed it. Uh, it's not like now where you can just catch it on catch up or watch again or find it on the internet. There's none of that. You know, you missed it, you missed it. And there started to be regular programmes on, on um, particularly on Channel 4. They had a series of, was it Gay on Tuesdays or something? It's out on Tuesdays. And they were great. I, I remember I used to have the numbers for all of the, um, I mean, there was only four channels back then. So I used to have the numbers for the duty desk uh, of, of the four channels. And if there was a homophobic comment on the telly, I would phone up the duty desk and complain. And if there was a gay programme on the telly, I'd phone them up and congratulate them. <laughs> I don't know whether that ever made any difference, but, you know. In 1992, I was working for a department within the BBC that was known as social action broadcasting. And it involved all of the different material and public information services, things to do with health, social issues. Hi, I'm Marguerite McLaughlin. I'm 69 years old. I identify as a lesbian, and I was very proud to work with London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard from 1995 to 2003. Increasingly, programs were being made about lesbian and gay issues, and they were gaining larger audiences. Often, they would also gain a notoriety that would reflect itself in the duty log at the BBC where people would ring up and complain and threaten to withdraw their license fee because obscene things like lesbian and gay issues were being explored. Issues would be raised and people wouldn't know where to turn because there was no internet at that time. And very often all people did need was a steer in the right direction to be able to access help and advice. And that was where my first awareness of lesbian and gay switchboard happened because increasingly we as the BBC were looking for high quality advisors to be able to take calls from people, offer support and also offer referrals so that people could take advantage of things that were on offer that they didn't know about. We've heard about Brookside, we've heard about Bad Girls, but let's give a shout out to all the other amazing 90s queer content. Yes. So good. We had Biker Grove. The Kiss, Biker Grove. <laughs> the Word, Camp Christmas, the gay characters in Channel 4's Hollyoaks in 1995. Gimme, gimme, gimme from 1999. So fun to say. And of course, 
queer as folk. Let's talk about queer as folk. <laughs> it was so huge when it came out in 1999. <laughs> Such a big deal. We love you, Russell T. Davies. Got somewhere to go? No. When I come back to mine. I remember uh, not being able to take my eyes away from the screen. It didn't matter that it was just gay men having loads and loads of sex. I had no idea what was going on either. I'm taking him home. I'm going with him. Good boy. So what do you like, Dylan? I like watching telly. What do you like doing in bed? Uh, this is fine. And there was a blowjob at a funeral, I think I remember. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I just remember watching it at the time and, you know, with the lights off and everything, but just getting really into it, into the characters. Stuart Allen Jones, I remember that name, Nathan Maloney, you know, all of these amazing characters. And I can remember specific scenes, especially the sex scenes in episode one, season one. Yes, yes, the whole football team's there, naked and in shorts, and the referee's going, yes, yes, in we go. Something like that. I just remember these lines. And you sitting so close to the TV screen that you're able to tell me that you could see the hairs on Nathan's bum. Yes, so you could see them. <laughs> yes, you can see them because Stuart Allen Jones puts his chin on the bum when he's talking about rimming. And they're doing rimming on the TV. <laughs> I don't remember very well. This is my problem now. But I do, I mean, I did watch Queer as Folk and I'm pretty sure I liked it. <laughs> I'm Tony Whitehead. I am... Uh, 67 years old, much to my surprise. Now, even at the age I was then, I might have felt a little flushed watching it with my mother or something. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But yes, I, I thought it was great to see. It's, it's sort of, I mean, it's still the sex scenes then not um, 100% honest. I mean, you know, let's let's without going into too many details, but, you know, Sex, sex can be messy and farty and <laughs> clumsy and all sorts of all sorts of things. So, you know, sex scenes looked a little more polished than 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 some I can think of. But uh, yeah, no, of course, I I just I just thought I wish I wish this had been around when when I was desperately trying to understand my own sexuality and about sexual relationships and you know, terrified and yet fascinated at the thought of having sex. I mean, I watched Queer, Queer as Folk, was it? Yeah. And sometimes I have to say, <laughs> it was uh, a little bit cringing to me. I could say, my God, you know, is that what happens? Is that what occurs with men? You know? <laughs> but obviously the more I saw, the more I... Uh, realised that was it they can have good times too I thought it was fabulous we all, we all fuck you know I mean and that's how it is I mean yeah I didn't rush to my smelling sorts with you know I didn't get hard and horny and wank off I just thought yeah this is how it is this is how I used to fuck how we all used to this is how we expressed ourselves um, and isn't that wonderful and whose is upsetting? Um, you know, it's time we showed that gay sex is like normal sex. It's, it can be betrayed in whichever way 
it's being wanted by the participants. And Russell really knew that and showed it. And absolutely avidly remember watching Queer as Folk when it came out. The soundtrack just takes me back there and how taboo it still was that, you know, rimming was represented. My name's Ewan Sutherland, I'm 44, and I didn't remember anything else British being out there that, you know, I saw elements of me in lots of different characters and those shared experiences which you saw being on screen, you related back to your own experience. What was absolutely fascinating for when watching Queer as Folk was Nathan as an underage gay man blatantly, enthusiastically having his first gay experience. It was a criminal. The age of consent had been fudged down to 18 at that point by um, Parliament. Uh, the European Court case, which I was involved with, was years away, several years away from uh, being completed. But this was a representation of what we had been talking about, which was a teenager engaging in a sexual activity with the threat of prosecution hanging over them and with family and friends and school, all of those Being a teenager is complicated. And what I loved about Queer as Folk was it wasn't one-dimensional. There was... Um, appealing and unappealing characteristics about the cast um, so that warts and all approach to things was incredibly refreshing to see. This is a logbook entry from February 18th, 1992, entitled Desperate Lesbian. Rebecca from Liverpool saw a clip of Katie Lang in a rather raunchy film clip, possibly on the word, where not many clothes were worn. Do you know the name of the film? HMV were apparently not helpful, but said they'd get the film if they could find the title. Told her to ring Sister Wright. P.S. She'll ring back in a week or so. Get those brains a-racking. This is a logbook entry from August 14th, 1994. Did anyone tape Tuesdays Out on Channel 4? Repeated Wednesday night. I forgot on both occasions and would like a copy since I'm in it. Report on Stonewall 25 in New York. If you can help, please ring me at home and leave a message. Thanks. Desperate lesbian. I think I definitely identified as a desperate lesbian <laughs> in the <laughs> 90s. All I wanted to do was take the L word, but it was on at 1am on living TV. So I used to have to call down in the middle of the night, press record, and then wake up really early and, and tiptoe downstairs, sit right next to the TV screen with the volume on one. Just so desperate to hear what Shane had done while I was looking over my shoulder in case my parents like, crept down the stairs and I was going to be exposed as the gay that I was. <laughs> <laughs> so representation around that time as well was starting to change. So it was going from, although it took a while, from the lesbian is the first one to die in the movie the gay man is always the camp one that falls over all the time and tries to get off with the hero. So we were kind of like lessening that and it was changing a bit. There was like Channel 4's out on Tuesday. It was at 11 o'clock at bloody night, you know. It was, but we were getting some representation, even if you had to get up early in the morning for work or for college or uni, 
you know, you would stay up and like put two alarm clocks on to get up early in the morning because you didn't want to miss it. You didn't want to miss that one bit of representation of stuff that was made by our community for our community. And of course, there was like the screams about, oh, it's always about gay men and stuff, and there's not enough lesbian representation. And then there was Dyke TV came out as well. That was fabulous. You know, that was like, that was Dykes were making TV. There were like lesbians behind the camera. There were lesbians in front of the camera. It was about lesbian subjects. It was about stuff that affected us at that time. And that was like mind blowing because we'd never had that before. Programs were made about us uh, or said things to us, but it was not us explaining ourselves or entertaining ourselves of showing our relationships as being just normal of a couple just like having to pay the bills, having to go shopping, having to go to work. The story was not around, oh, this lesbian's got this particular issue. It wasn't issue-based unless it was explaining something, unless it was specific to that thing. All of the shows that we've looked at so far focus on lesbian and gay lives, but there's hardly any trans representation at all. Except for 1998, when something super important happened on Coronation Street, Britain's longest running TV soap and export from the north of England. <laughs> uh, they introduced a important character, Hayley Cropper, who was the first transgender character in a soap on British TV. And this was such a big deal. She was originally cast as like the punchline of a joke, uh, of, a, of a scene where Roy Cropper went on a bad date, basically. But the public and the writers liked her so much that she became a permanent character on the show and explored so many different storylines over the years and lots of different themes, not only being trans and not only transitioning. So that in itself is super important. And of course, she also represented later on the theme of assisted dying. So really, really important character, Hayley Cropper. What a pioneer. Interestingly, I wrote my PhD uh, about UK TV documentaries that feature trans people. So I know quite a lot about the 1990s sort of in terms of documentaries, but there, there was, you know, in terms of drama, there was very, very little trans representation. Hello, I'm Jay Stewart. I use he, him pronouns and I'm from Birmingham. A lot of TV documentaries were called The Wrong Body. Um, and, you know, there was the kind of the dogma of being trapped in the wrong body and all this, all of this kind of na narrative and rhetoric that we've since uh, challenged. Um, but there was a young person, a young trans boy, actually, on a TV documentary. And he was, I think, I'm not sure what year would that be, maybe 92, 93. And he was um, somebody that made me really think, gosh, it's... Um, it's possible. It's in, it's interesting. I wasn't one of these people who just was, you know, knew from the get go that you know I was a trans man. Um, it's something that didn't really uh, cement or solidify until my sort of mid twenties. Um, but then, yeah, you're kind of peppered. Not very much, actually. But there's a couple of opportunities to see yourself represented on TV. I don't watch Coronation Street because it's from up north. But I have to say, I did start to watch it when Hayley, the transsexual, came into it because it was just so well done. 
In fact, it was so well done. I hope Lynn won't mind me saying this, but she actually asked our friend who's an actor if she really is <laughs> a transsexual because you actually thought she was, didn't did, she? Didn't yeah. 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 From what I can remember, I think it was so well done because the local people accepted her. And I think that is a very important thing. If a person's essence is female, now we might call that the soul or the essence or the the inside part of that person. If that person feels, in my view, that they are female, then if they have the courage to go through the whole transition, there's no doubt in my mind that that woman is a woman. And we have got one particular friend that has gone through that transition and I fully admire her for doing that. And in my eyes, she is a woman, a what complete a woman. woman. She is. She is a woman, mm. yeah. What happened with Haley on Coronation Street was that suddenly there was a huge explosion of people ringing switchboard and saying, there is a person like me on television. But often, there wasn't the same kind of happy ever after that was being shown to Haley and that callers were experiencing a lot of transphobia because of the increased public awareness of transgender issues. There's that double-edged sword of visibility, right? It's super important to have characters on screen that you identify with, but then there's also this backlash about it sometimes as well when other people who don't like those characters see it. And I remember Ellen. Now, Ellen's a big character in this. I loved Ellen. It was a great show. Ellen was a great character. She was a wise, cracking, bad-dressing bookshop owner, and basically that was who I identified as. You literally are talking about yourself here, Adam. <laughs> and I remember when she was about to come out, everyone kind of knew it was going to happen, and there was going to be this big media moment, and it was it was kind of like weirdly stressful. There was this electricity in the air about Ellen coming out, even though we all knew it was going to happen. Oh, and plus the love interest was Laura fucking Dern. Hello. I mean... I'm there for Laura, but I just didn't care about Alan at all. What? <laughs> but of course, she meant a lot to people just like you, Adam. And Switchboard was there to talk to them. There was a sense of change in the 90s. There was a sense of momentum and a sense of movement. And certainly by 1997, and when uh, Tony Blair's Labour government was voted in, there was an absolute sense of optimism. My name's Ruth and I've been a volunteer at Switchboard since 1996 and I'm still a volunteer today. And change, change was in the air, but there were also other things happening. Ellen coming out in America. Switchboard was asked to go to the offices of Channel 4 and five volunteers went along on the evening of Ellen DeGeneres' coming out and at that time, Switchboard wasn't computerised. Everything was done in hard copy. But we went along to Channel 4 offices 
and we had to do instant messaging. We had to go into chat rooms after the show and um, Switchboard's number was put at the end of the show. And so it was a little bit nerve-wracking being in the chat room because that wasn't something that we were used to doing. But I guess it was the first time Switchboard had done instant messaging. And the response was overwhelming. We were there, I believe, until something like two in the morning. And uh, there were five of us, and we were all on separate computers in our separate chat rooms. The callers, the instant message people, flooded in. It was it was ama- absolutely amazing. And I'd been at Switchboard for less than a year then. So I felt really honoured. I think it was three women and two men went along. But it's great that Switchboard was offering that service then and that we were able to respond in real time to callers, not just from London, but from all over the country, who were responding to Ellen coming out. And again, it was that sense of change. It was that sense of people being able to watch something on TV and then chat to an LGBT volunteer. I like to think that it, it helped help people to come out. You know, things were changing, things were shifting. That shift has continued because TV is such a fluid medium and TV budgets have gone through the roof and new internet platforms like Netflix means loads and loads more content and diversity, which is great and we love it. But interestingly, there's also this ghettoization, I think, potentially of queer characters into the LGBTQ plus category that people can click on. Not too sure how I feel about that. 100% Adam. So we spoke to two queer people who work behind the scenes as TV producers today to see what they think about what needs to change and shift going forwards. Hi, I'm Stella. I'm a TV producer and I'm producing a series called Gentleman Jack at the moment. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm also a TV producer and I'm producing a series called Landscapers at the moment. So I'll just start by saying hi, Katie. Hi, you're looking very ashamed today. Um, (laughs) And Katie, I just wanted to remind you that one of the first times we met, we had a very, very long conversation about the L word, and here we both are making our dreams come true. So still not working on the L word. Still not working on the L word, and it's weird that they brought it back and they didn't ask either of us. I know some dreams still. Would you like to work on the L word? I genuinely would love to work on the L word, yeah. I sometimes fantasise about it. I haven't actually told anyone that, so... um, I fantasise about it, and then uh, one of the actors is unwell, and then I have to do the scene. When I was very anxious at one of my first TV jobs, one of my, like, calming thoughts, like my happy place, was basically my first day on the L word set as Mm. uh, L word Mm. producer. That's great, and you felt very supported, did you? Really supported. Eileen Chaikin was there, meeting me at the car, Alicia Haley took me to set. It was really dreamy. That's a really good segue into talking about our current roles as two gay women doing two pretty gay jobs um is yours pretty is yours pretty gay at the moment (laughs) my current job is actually the first show i've worked on that features no homosexual characters whatsoever wow how do you feel about that you know what i was actually surprised to find myself enjoying it and i think that is firstly an indication of how privileged i've been to Mm, work mm. on shows that have so many kind of queer characters And secondly, I think it's perhaps a reflection on the relief, I feel, Mm. not to be the person in the room who has to provide the answers or the legitimacy for the storyline. See, I love that. I love that. It gives me a real real 
power kick. Does yeah. it happen often to you? No, no. In my head, it happens often to me. But you, you know, I'm just the person at the back of the room being ignored. But I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I think I was thinking about you know the question of how much more queer TV is now than it used to be. But the fact that that's not meaning that everything has to have somebody in it who ticks a box mm. um, and that kind of balance of authenticity authenticity and um, representation. It's nice to kind of be able to work across so many different things. Mm. At the moment, I'm working on a show that is sort of like if you made up a dream show in my mind, that would be this show. It's a historical period show about a kind of kick-ass lesbian. And actually, I'm really looking forward to maybe working on something that is that takes takes me completely out of my comfort zone. And is that, do you feel like that's what you're doing? Um, I don't feel like it's necessarily taking me out of my comfort zone, but I think it's definitely allowing me just to like keep my mind on the story and not worry about the politics of it. Mm. And I think you're right that there has been such a development over... Mm. Um, almost a decade, I realised, that I've been in the industry, which is really scary. Um, Well, when I first began, I remember that one of the first shows that I script edited, I was the only gay person in the room and it was about, uh, part of the storyline was like a lesbian cop. And I remember being taken out of the room by one of the senior people in running the show and they were like to me, Katie, like if there's anything that's been said in that room that's made you feel uncomfortable, like please let me know. And I remember just being so like outraged by it because I was like, if something in that room has made me feel uncomfortable, surely it should have made you guys feel mm, uncomfortable. Sort of responsibility. And suddenly it's my responsibility not only to be like the guardian of the legitimacy of mm. the story, but also somehow like the guardian of what's PC in the room. And it just felt very exposing yeah it's exposing and I think I think it's kind of the downside to or the the baby step side of that question of people being much more respectful to authenticity but not quite having the skills to uh, put that into practice I'm having a very different experience to that at the moment I'm, I'm having the very very positive side of people being respectful to authenticity and there's so many people in the team of the show that we're making that are curious and sensitive and gay and want to get things right and I feel like that is such a different situation to 10 years ago being told okay we've got the stamp of approval from this one dyke in the room (laughs) so let's all move on it's not that it's not someone telling your story over there and just turning around to check that it's okay with you it's you're doing it together as a team and I think that's got to be the way that it goes on I totally agree and I think what was nice is as as things sort of progressed like I definitely felt myself falling into the kind of slipstream of a kind of widening of the conversation Mm -hmm. as more I found myself working with more queer people and like when I made the bisexual I was immediately then working with a director, a writer, um, loads of crew that identified with the themes of that show, which was amazing. And I remember being in a room with Desi, who was the writer, creator, actor, everything. And and we were kind of joking around about the L word and how much we loved it. And suddenly we found ourselves like putting it into the show. And there was like a whole Mm -hmm. strand where it was a scene where it was literally just to Dyke sitting on a sofa watching the L word. I remember one of the actors like didn't didn't get the references. <laughs> but <laughs> I 
Anne was saying Bet's, <laughs> Bet's name wrong. But Betty. It, it, literally Betty. And someone mm. be like, it's actually Bet. It, it was like one of those moments where you're like, fucking hell, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, this is so geeky and great. And yeah, it's niche. And yeah, my mum's not going to get it. But actually, it's not for her. So whatever. Yeah. Fuck your mum. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Well, you can. I think it's the feeling of not being the person in the room who in your head is thinking, oh my God, that that just would never happen. Like, please don't make her also like, I don't know, flirt with a guy just because that's a helpful plot point. But being worried about saying that because that would mean that the straight white male showrunner is going to be pissed off with you. And it's like having those kind of internal battles in your head about where the space is for your Mm. voice and the legitimacy of your voice, even though you know you're correct. Suddenly you're in a space where it's basically like being in open water. You can just jump in and swim and see where it takes you. And it just, as a result, you just, the the storylines just find themselves and it doesn't feel so artificial. Yeah, I think it's also about the individuals and about the atmosphere. Mm. And I think that's something that, you can feel it in TV, it's changing every day. You can feel, you know, I've always felt very comfortable speaking up for myself as a woman, as a gay person, but I think that we're getting to a place where it's a much more supportive environment for people to do that and for people to feel that they can raise things that make them uncomfortable or when they don't feel that their voice is being heard. And I just think that that there is an environment now where that that's more f- embracing of other voices and i think that people get scared in the kind of cancel culture way that only someone who's had this experience can write about this only someone who's had this experience can direct that and i think there there's a losing sight within that of the fact that we make these things as a team mm. and if we're talking to each other and there's I felt exposed in situations as well before, but you feel much less exposed if you know that that person over there really cares about your opinion, even if they haven't mm-hmm. had the, ex- the same experience as you, or that person over there you've chosen because they're incredibly sensitive. And that person over there, maybe you've chosen them because they're gay or because they are really geeky about a certain thing. And I think it's just making those environments where, yeah, of course, it's not cut and dry. Not everybody is going to um, have had the same experiences as the things that they're trying to show on screen. But I think as long as they're respectful to the fact that maybe they haven't and they need to speak to someone about it, Mm. then I think that... But there'll there'll always be people who just don't get it as well. Let's talk about bad girls, please. Let's talk (laughs) about bad girls. You watch things like bad girls and you're like, here's a show that was really... I don't want to say ahead of its time because it was of its time and it was amazing. It wasn't about gay women. You know, it wasn't an an issue drama in that sense, but it had lots of gay women in it. You know, not just wing governor Helen Stewart and Nikki, but it also had, you know, um, Denny, who was in a kind of relationship with, um, who was it that, what's her name played? You know, the one who did the impressions show. I don't know. Yeah, this, you this. do. She was in. I, I just do not watch more than one well. series. Um, Shell Dockley has this character, um, and you know, she. I don't think she identified as a gay character, but she was in this relationship with this woman, and that was just all going on in the background. And y- there's so few shows where you look back and they were doing that. And mm. I just, I, I think that there's me- much more characters now where or, or shows where you, they're not about just a group of gay people which are also amazing you know Queer as Folk an amazing show L Word an amazing show let's not beat around the bush I think you're right they are amazing shows but it's interesting that you those two references the endings of both of those series the two series of Queer as Folk and I'm, god knows how many series six, of the L Word yeah. well six. obviously six plus 
plus two, plus <laughs> generation Q. But neither Queer as Folk or The L Word quite managed to find their ending. Mm. Queer as Folk, they drive off in that car into this fantasy world. The L Word, I mean, fuck knows, but something yeah. very strange. It's it's just interesting that neither of those shows could quite kind of bring it to an end in a way that felt right. And somehow that speaks for me to the fact that the culture, the environment was still still emerging and they almost had to kind of throw it into... They lived in their own universe and they had to kind of throw the happy ending or the terrible ending, in the case of the L word, into the realm of fantasy. It depends how you feel about Jenny, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think if you made a series about a group of gay women or a group of gay men now it would be very different to those series not that they're not absolutely brilliant and you know Queer as Folk is one of the greatest shows ever made in my opinion but but I think they would I think they would be different so we've been talking about the shows looking back at shows where we can see the holes in them and how we might plug those holes now what do you think would be the holes that people in 20 years would look back at the shows that we're making people are going to look back at the shows we're making and and see the whole for trans characters and I definitely have experienced that in terms of the feedback I've had for shows that I've made Mm. in the last five years remember a screening of the bisexual and we were all kind of sitting around congratulating ourselves on how great it was to see this kind of unexplored queer storyline and um, this trans person came up to me and they were like "I, I really feel like my story wasn't there and I really really wanted it to be you know and and I just I was at a cash point getting out money and I just remember feeling like oh like I'm such a dick <laughs> like it's like stop congratulating yourself like there's so much more still to no, do but I mean there is a lot more to do I also think you can con- congratulate yourself because that was a series that was very very different for people and I think it really broke some new ground and I think there's always it's always worth looking back and thinking okay what could I do for the next time Mm. I did it what can I do for the next time I did it who do I need to speak to and where do we need to get to but I think as as you know people are very still very unenlightened about bisexual people they really are I was having a conversation with someone last night who I hope isn't listening to this because she's a dear friend she said is it more difficult going out with bisexual people than lesbians <laughs> said yes dear no <laughs> but do you know what I mean and and you know I think the the conversations people are having now about you know non-binary identities trans identities I'm not going to say the trans debate because human rights are not a debate but the the conversations that people are ha- having and the things they are wanting to understand I think will start to reflect them soon in Drama does it first. And that was one of the things I was going to say about dramas, actually, is that thinking about how drama is starting to represent the world that you and I live in, that that we all live in, to be honest. But reality is not really doing that. Yeah, I was thinking about sort of drama versus um, reality. And I love Love Island. I love watching Love Island, but sort of as an anthropological exercise of what goes on in straight people's minds. And I think it feels very othering to queer people, shows like that, because it's it's the the most mainstream show. It is one of the most watched shows. And it's almost like having a series of Big Brother that didn't have gay people on it or anyone queer or, you know, it's it's very, very old-fashioned I think in its in its gender dynamics and um, it's it's quite depressing in that I sense. I totally agree and in a way I get a bit annoyed with people that are like oh god guilty pleasure because this is a show that literally had a debate about whether or not they should include non-heterosexual people in it and it's like 
how can you debate that? I mean, it's like we exist. I don't know if you understand the rules of Love Island. It would actually be very difficult to have gay people in it, Katie. I've got, of course, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Do forgive me. But it's like, it just, you know, and people, you know, lots of people in the industry watch it and it's just, mm. I, I want to boycott it. Really? Yeah. I would rather boycott it because of um, the way that it perpetuates sort of stereotypes about men and women. I, um, well, but that's kind of part of the same thing, I suppose. It's parcel, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good storytelling is just loving people, mm. whatever they are, whatever they do, and being able to tell a story about them. And, and those stories can be timeless. And, you know, I've banged on about the L word a lot maybe we've given it too much airtime I don't know but but you know I know that I would not have come out if I hadn't watched that show mm. because it felt like I found a family mm. and they the were stolen, literally like those friends. stolen minutes on YouTube yeah ten, like ten furtive, furtive uh, but, that, but then it's amazing to think back on that and you know those women did not have lives like us I don't mm. know about you but growing up you know I was watching it from Norwich in 2007 I, I wasn't you know driving around LA with with Bet, unfortunately. That was yet to come. That, you know, that was 2009, 2010. <laughs> um, gap year. <laughs> that was my gap year. And yet, now we can watch things on BBC One where we see a, a character who is having a relationship and it's not the thing that the storyline is about. And you see that you see something that just feels much more relatable mm. or you see a character who's walking down the road in the 19th century hashtag gentleman jack and you think yeah we've been around forever you ain't never going to get rid of us either Hey, Tash, what's the future of TV? Queer Battlestar Galactica every yes. damn day. Hit me up, Ronald D. Moore. I'm ready to write. Shapeshifting alien sex. Maybe a Sense8 reboot. I can't wait for Picard season two. Seven and Raffi. Space aliens. Okay. Space lesbians. <laughs> Enough about space. <laughs> this has been fun. But as you know, with the logbooks, we also get serious. So in the next episode, we're taking you to April the 30th, 1999 the day the Admiral Duncan pub in Soho was bombed. Calls to Switchboard are confidential, so to bring the logbooks to life, we've changed callers' details. The Logbooks is produced by Shivani Dave, Tash Walker and Adam Smith, in partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline, and supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, if you think other people would like the logbooks, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. These ratings and reviews really help others to discover the show. You can send us your feedback and stories to hello at thelogbooks.org or join the conversation on social media with the hashtag thelogbooks. Our music is by Tom Foskett Barnes and our artwork is by Natalie Dotto. Thanks to... Steph Dickers and the team at the Bishopsgate Institute... The folks at Acast, Content is Queen, David Pye, the staff and volunteers at Switchboard, and everyone who shared their stories with us. Switchboard continues to take phone calls from 10am to 10pm every day. If you're affected by any of the issues in this podcast, or need to discuss anything to do with gender identity or sexuality, you can call Switchboard on 0300-330-0630. Email chris at switchboard.lgbt or instant message via switchboard.lgbt. 
where you can also donate money or time to help.